Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, folks, I am super excited to tell you a bit about today's new sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, MMC hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, O'Teal Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available. Spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com moods to learn more. Moods and Modes is presented by Osiris Media and made possible thanks to our Patreon community. To support the podcast directly, go to patreon.com slash Alex Skolnick. From Brooklyn, New York, this is Moods and Modes. I'm your host, Alex Skolnick. I'm probably best known as a professional guitarist. I'm also a writer, a photographer, and someone who occasionally gets told to keep his opinions to himself on Twitter. This podcast will involve music and guitar, but it may take us to some unexpected places as well. So, thank you for joining me, and let's do this. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Did you have a good holiday? Did you have a good New Year's? Uh, this is Moods and Modes. This is Alex Skolnick. We're going to do things a little differently today. Uh, it's going to be a little more informal. It's just me today, and we are looking back at 2020 and looking ahead at 2021. So first of all, Happy New Year. I have to admit, it feels a little bit odd to say that. As I speak to you, we're about 72 hours past one of the most unprecedented days in the history of the United States. 
And of course, I am talking about the storming of the U.S. Capitol by an angry mob determined to overturn a Democratic election. So the year is off to quite a start. And unfortunately, this proves a point that I've been making around New Year's, trying to dissuade people from getting too caught up in the whole sentiment of saying goodbye to 2020. Oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness 2020 is over because now 2021 is here and it's going to make everything better. No, it's not. So these are sentiments that I'd already written on Instagram and Facebook, but this presents an opportunity for me to express them in my own voice. Here's a little bit of what I said on New Year's Eve. Quote, I always prefer honesty, so as tempting as it is to say goodbye to 2020 and pretend everything's going to be better going forward, the truth is that circumstances don't follow years. If they did, which would they observe? Tonight's new year is based on the Gregorian calendar, as per Pope Gregory centuries back, but it's not the only one. Who's to say tonight's observation of a new year is any more valid than that of the Indian calendar, the Chinese calendar, the Judaic calendar, in which it's now year 5781? Regardless, those of us who got through this year okay, let's be grateful, think of those who did not, and hope for better times ahead. Unquote. There isn't much more. It's a pretty short post accompanying a photo I took of the last sunset of 2020. And I briefly mentioned the last book that I read in 2020, Brave New World, which I just finished reading a couple days before. And confess uh, being a little bit um, embarrassed by not having read it much earlier in life. I know it's an essential read, and it was just one of those glaring omissions. I, we all, I think we all have them. I know um, a very respected novelist who has never read War and Peace, and I've read that. So there you go. But it is incredibly prophetic. I recommend Brave New World for anybody. Um, if you read it in school or you know, read it again, it's so profound what Huxley was talking about in the 1930s. And a lot of it is very relatable to what's going on now. I also mentioned the book that I was about to start, which I'm now about halfway through. That's called Homo Deus. It's uh, the sequel to the book Sapiens. This is uh, a nonfiction series. Uh, Sapiens is about human evolution and uh, history of humans basically up until today. And uh, Homo Deus is the sequel, and it picks up on some of the same themes, but talks more about where things are going. Now, the author, Noah Yuval Harari, he's a youngish, 40-something, I believe, professor in Israel, and he's just got this very direct way of communicating, and it's very entertaining to read, um, and very interesting, like things that you don't think about that much. And a lot of uh, good news that it's easy to overlook, especially in a time like today. But um, overall, there is much less war than there used to be. You know, there's one section where he talks about um, Germany and France being at peace in 1913. Well, what does that mean? Well, 
That means that everybody knew they may be at each other's throats in 1914. So it's not that there aren't wars. Of course there are. But it's not like you have these neighboring countries that any given year, it's likely they may go to war. You know, the U.S. was at war with Mexico. Uh, so many European nations w were at war. And just now it's, it's a lot less likely. And there's less hunger than there used to. It's certainly a problem. But we don't have the, like, the widespread famines that we used to. And indeed, obesity is a bigger problem than hunger. At one point, uh, Harari talks about the number of people who died from human violence in 2012, and it's a little over half a million. And 1.5 million people died of diabetes. So he follows that with the sentence, sugar is now more dangerous than gunpowder. So his writing is full of these types of witticisms. He has a newer book, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, which uh, I plan to read at a later time. And he's been doing a book tour for that. And I heard him on Tim Ferriss's podcast where he talked extensively about Brave New World and what a big inspiration that was for everything he did. And I had no idea. That was coincidental. So consider those my two big reading recommendations as we enter 2021. Brave New World by Aldous Huxley and Homo Deus and also Sapiens, if you haven't read that, by Noe Yuval Harari. Now I want to quickly pay tribute to some of the artists lost in 2020. It's pretty staggering when you look at a list. I don't know if this is more than average. I think it is because a number of them died of COVID, and you also had uh, some serious giants, right? One of the first in the year was Neil Peart, and uh, that was in January. And towards the end of the year, we lost Eddie Van Halen. I mean, those are two of the most influential artists on their instruments. Obviously, we did a tribute podcast to Eddie Van Halen, two-parter which we also did for Peter Green, who was lost last year. Um, but there's so many others. You know, Little Richard, who was a big inspiration. I discovered him in a film, uh, American Hot Wax, when I was a kid. Some of the musicians I don't know. So I'm looking at a list right now. Like there's Joe Diffie, I don't know who that is. It's a 90s country artist. That's an example. I can't mention everybody, but just, you know, the ones that, I certainly um, was aware of, and in some cases influenced by, uh, Bill Withers. Now, this was one, Ronald Calise Bell. Now, you know, his name isn't as well known as the group he co-founded, Cool and the Gang. But what a major influence. I mean, he was a vocalist and saxophonist, but he also co-wrote uh, Jungle Boogie, which is one of the coolest songs of all time and was found new life when Quentin Tarantino included it in Pulp Fiction in the 90s. And then the song Celebration, I just remember that growing up. Uh, that was like the theme song for the baseball team, the Oakland A's. So uh, anytime I would go to a game with my family, uh, they would usually play that. I forget if it was just if they would win but I, I always identified that song with the Oakland A's. And Bill Withers, um, not to overlook him, you know, I've always loved his songs, as so many of us have. And even uh, quite recently, 
uh, Ain't No Sunshine came on at the end of a film I watched, and I was just so taken in by it. I was just inspired to pick up my 68 SG and uh, just do my own little jam to it, which I, I posted online. Now, there are some musicians that I'm a little more indirectly inspired by. One of them is uh, Eric Weisberg. It's a name you wouldn't think of as being a bluegrass banjo player, but he played on probably one of the most widely heard bluegrass tracks of all time, the Dueling Banjos tune that is heard in the soundtrack to Deliverance. And I had this soundtrack. I always uh, loved it. Disturbing movie, but great soundtrack. And it's a good movie, but uh, it's just a little intense. Uh, it was an inspiration on Quentin Tarantino, let's put it that way. And if you've seen it and you've seen Pulp Fiction, you'll recognize that uh, parts of Deliverance are directly referred to, both in uh, dialogue and subject matter. It's almost unfortunate that Eric Weisberg's banjo playing is so associated with the film because it's such a great performance. But if you think about the film, you might get the creeps as soon as you hear it, especially the opening notes. Now, a major loss happened in the world of bluegrass. If you look at bluegrass guitar and you were to find somebody of the stature of Jimi Hendrix or Eddie Van Halen in that world, in the confines of bluegrass guitar, it would probably be this player. And of course, I'm talking about Tony Rice, who passed away on Christmas Day. As I mentioned in my post, I'm not a bluegrass player. It's not my main genre, but I listen to all styles of music, including bluegrass. And I did uh, learn a few bluegrass licks, and the ones that are in my vocabulary are partially thanks to him. And somebody that I, I confess I haven't listened a whole lot to, but had a deep appreciation for and plan to listen more to is uh, John Prine, the great singer-songwriter. And in uh, reviewing some of his music, I came across a tune called Some Humans Ain't Human, where he describes certain people as ice cubes with hair. <laughs> I thought that's so brilliant and so relatable. And somebody who was lost also in December. December really seems to have been a bad month for uh, musical losses. But a great uh, multi-instrumentalist, bassist, Chapman stick player, a good electric jazz player as well, although best known for a style that's kind of a subgenre within a subgenre. That would be progressive death metal. And I'm talking about uh, Sean Malone, a great bass player who played for groups like uh, Cynic, uh, Gordian Knot, and uh, really young too, which is just shocking. You know, somebody like Eric Weisberg was, was around 80. The last person I mentioned, Tony Rice, was closer to 70, which these days, even that's considered young to go. But 50 is just uh, unbelievable. And it was about a year after uh, his own drummer, Sean Reinhardt, passed away. Um, in the same year, in January, a great drummer who also played in Cynic and Gordian Knot, but uh, played with the group Death as well. And his loss was overshadowed, unfortunately, because it was less than two weeks after the loss of Neil Peart. 
And if you play any type of progressive music and you play drums passing away at the same time as Neil Peart, it's sort of like being a basketball player who's respected by other players, but maybe not a star player, and you pass away around the same time as Kobe Bryant. Now, that was one of the first shocks as far as uh, celebrity deaths. But when you look at the list of celebrity deaths, it's pretty shocking. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, I don't think anybody knew he was ill. And uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we knew she was ill, but she just kept bouncing back. I don't think anybody expected her to pass away. Of course, that caused a lot of political drama. And uh, back to music, you know, Kenny Rogers, who was just a massive celebrity as well as um, music. He really transcended country music. And I'm not sure everybody knows, but the, that great song in uh, The Big Lebowski, where there's this sort of psychedelic dream sequence, a song called I Just Dropped In to See What Condition My Condition Was In, that was by a band called The First Edition. And Kenny Rogers was on lead vocals before he went solo and went country. I pushed my soul in a deep, dark hole and then I followed it in. I watched myself crawling out as I was... Ennio Morricone. He lived to be 91. That's a really good run. And he was active right up until the end. Uh, known for soundtracks, so many different genres of films, but always identifiable. Uh, best known probably for the 60s Clint Eastwood westerns, um, one tune of which, Ecstasy of Gold, became Metallica's intro music. And we've got to acknowledge Charlie Daniels, virtuoso fiddle player. He was in a film I just saw called Jimmy Carter, Rock and Roll President, with musicians backing Jimmy Carter, including the Allman Brothers and Charlie Daniels. And um, it's a little surprising to see this if you've seen his activity of late. Uh, there was an ad he did for the National Rifle Association right towards the end of the Obama era and uh, let's just say he he changed a lot he doesn't seem like somebody who would support jimmy carter to the ayatollahs of iran and every terrorist you enable listen up you might have met our fresh-faced flower child president and his weak need ivy league friends but you haven't met america you haven't met america Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Anyway, there are more. There are too many to name, unfortunately. And uh, 48 hours before the loss of Tony Rice, we lost Leslie West. Now, he was a big inspiration. I discovered him through uh, artists that I was listening to who mentioned him. So Michael Schenker from UFO, Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath and others. But as I mentioned, there have been so many musicians lost, too many to name, let alone do podcast tribute episodes to. Now, I did do tributes to Peter Green and Eddie Van Halen in the wake of their passing. But unfortunately, even though so many of these other musicians deserve it, 
and I'm sure we could come up with a very cool in-depth episode on them. Uh, there's just not time to get to everyone. However, Leslie West is somebody that I did spend quite a bit of time learning his licks, listening to his music. He is a player's player. All the household names deeply appreciate him. He should be more of a household name himself. So I think it's likely we will have a Leslie West tribute episode at some point. I'm still going back and forth with my friends at Osiris Media, and we're uh, sorting the agenda, figuring out topics for future episodes. But uh, I would expect a Leslie West tribute. In the meantime, just a few words that I wrote on Instagram in the wake of his passing. Quote, he was a pure player, just feel and tone, no high speed, advanced technique, effects, gadgets, etc., not that there's anything wrong with those things. Heck, I use them. But it was refreshing to realize how much could be said with just a pair of hands through a good guitar and amp. Unquote. Now, these are losses that took place at the end of the year, but I would be remiss if we didn't go back to late winter, early spring, and the loss of one of the greatest piano players of all time, McCoy Tyner. He was as essential to the John Coltrane Quartet as John Coltrane himself. And I, of course, I recommend any John Coltrane album that he's on, but I also listed some albums that are favorites of mine uh, outside of the John Coltrane Quartet, including Inner Urge by Joe Henderson, The Real McCoy by McCoy Tyner, Juju by Wayne Shorter, Solid by Grant Green, and Guitars by McCoy Tyner. All of those are on my March 9th Instagram post with details. And finally, I need to mention somebody who passed away a year ago, but it was New Year's Eve. So for all intents and purposes, it was a 2020 loss. And I'm talking about Vic Juris. This is a name known to musicians, not well known enough to the general public. In fact, I had spoken to Vic about being on the podcast. We hadn't launched yet. In fact, we hadn't even settled on a title yet. But it was in the works, and the idea of meeting up with somebody like Vic and helping introduce him to a bigger audience was part of the motivation for the podcast in the first place. So, sadly, that's not going to happen, but I am planning a tribute episode to Vic at some point in the future. Now, at this point in the episode, I had planned to pivot from paying respects to folks we've lost over the past year to a look back and personal reflections of various events throughout this most extraordinary of time periods, 2020. Unfortunately, we're not done yet. We're only a week into 2021, and we've lost some more people already. Life is feeling so fragile right now. First, a few words about Alexi Leho, the frontman of Children of Bodom from Finland. Also, a very fine technical guitar player that managed to create a new sound, mixing high-end technical guitar playing with extreme metal. I wrote a few words about him on Instagram. Quote, as a guitarist, he created new possibilities in extreme metal with technically sophisticated solos that held their own alongside the best in more popularized metal genres. While I didn't know him well, we did have a few public appearances together over the years, and I always found him to be humble, 
very dedicated to music and with a great sense of humor. A good guy and far too young to go. Unquote. Alexei was only 41 years old. That hurts. And finally, about 24 hours ago from when I'm speaking to you now, news came in of the loss of Marsha Zazula. This is very sad news. This is somebody I knew personally. She's probably not known to most of you unless you were in the music industry. I just want to say a few words about her because she is part of my history in the music business. And uh, she was half of the team that started Megaforce Records, the other half being John Zazula, her husband, better known as Johnny Z. Now, this was the label that had taken a chance on a very different but exciting young band called Metallica. By the time uh, Testament, Overkill, and other groups were associated with uh, their label, Megaforce, Metallica had already been picked up by a bigger label, Elektra, and bought their way out of the contract, and it was ugly for a while, as it often is, but they made up and they became friends again, which is just such a beautiful thing to see in the music business. Um, Metallica just did a post for Marsha. I'm going to read that right now. Quote, Marsha Z is the metal matriarch of the East Coast. She was our mother when I had none. She made great sacrifices for Metallica to grow. Thank you, Marsha. Love and positive energy to the Zazula family. Unquote. And that's by James Hetfield. And there's a picture of the two of them. And James looks like he is in high school. My God, that's a long time ago. And Marsha just looks like a fan. Wow. I can only guess this picture was taken before the first Metallica record was even recorded. So we're talking early 80s. I didn't know her until towards the end of that decade. There is a much more recent photo of her just uh, before this. This is on the Metallica timeline with a message, uh, quote, Rest in peace, Marsha. Thank you for everything. Much love to John Zazula and the Zazula family, unquote. It's really good to see Marsha getting her due because she really was half of that label. And even though uh, Metallica had moved on by the time they did their second record, the label went on to link up with bands such as uh, King's X, Overkill, Testament, my own band. And by that time, they really had it together. When they formed Megaforce, it was really for the purpose of putting out Metallica's record because they recognized how great they were. And eventually, Megaforce Records would evolve into a distribution company, which it still is, doing all kinds of bands. They have the Black Crows, they have the Verve, they have the Alex Skolnick Trio, which is kind of full circle. And nowadays, uh, the company is run by Missy Colazzo, who was like a protege of Marsha's from the early days. And it's also known as uh, MRI Entertainment. So without Marsha, a lot of our lives would look very different. And you can read about her in this week's Billboard magazine. There is also a feature in Variety magazine. They spoke to a number of musicians, including myself. So I'm going to read a little bit. Quote, Alex Skolnick tells Variety that Marsha was a nurturing mother figure for many of the label's artists, especially ones whose families may have disapproved of their career choices. She kept things balanced, Skolnick says. 
She was this steady hand, a calming force during these intense moments. And there were intense moments. Johnny and Marsha were really a team. She was there for every decision. Johnny, bless him, was the stereotypical hot-headed East Coast label executive. Patience and calm may not have been his strong suits. <laughs> and she balanced him out. Unquote. I had also given an example of this to the journalist. My story did not make it into the piece, which I more than understand because she had so many quotes from artists and other folks who knew Marsha as well as her life story, and it really has the feel of a good memorial. There's no way she could have included it, but she did a great job, and there's no reason I can't tell you the story I told her. So we were recording the second Testament album. I was 19 years old. And back then, we made our albums in upstate New York, Ithaca, a college town. And there would be one weekend where John and Marsha would fly up from New Jersey. And they would land at the regional airport in Ithaca and uh, spend the weekend with the band. Take us out to dinner, hang out. And it was a very familial atmosphere. This also gave them the chance to come down to the studio, hear how the album was going which is their right, after all. It's their investment. They are executive producers, quote-unquote. And uh, on one such occasion, they came down to a session, and we were at the point of the album where it was time for me to do guitar solos. The rest of the band was out carousing somewhere, so it was just me and our producer, whose name was also Alex. And uh, they were just camped out on the couch. They asked permission. Is it okay if they, they listen in? And uh, yeah, somehow I felt comfortable with them and it was nice to get to know them uh, away from the whole scene of the entire band and our managers. And I remember when we had done the first album a year before, I'd been so nervous and insecure. I mean, I was 18 years old, so <laughs> to give myself some credit, but uh, I didn't want anybody else in the room. But th this was the first time I was tracking with other people in the room, and I felt comfortable. It was like having uh, your aunt and uncle from New Jersey in the room, you know. They were and they were encouraging. They were uh, giving feedback. It was a nice vibe. And then all of a sudden, uh, the phone rang to the studio, and it was a call for Johnny, and it was one of our managers picking a bone with him about a point in the contract. And I saw a different side of Johnny. I saw the, uh, the hot-headed East Coast label executive that I described in the piece. And so one minute he was this sort of nurturing Italian uncle. The next minute he was Tony Soprano just reaming this guy out over the phone. And I'd never seen anything like that. He was right, by the way. I mean, this particular manager of ours did not have great people skills. He interrupted this nice moment. It was a Sunday. And boy, he tore him limb from limb. It was very quick. He hung up and then just started calling that him a weasel. And like the stuff he said after he hung up was much worse. So I remember there was this moment, this awkward tension in the air as Johnny caught his breath. And somebody, it might have been the producer or one of the engineers, pointed to me and just said, he shouldn't have to see this. And Marsha said, you know what? He should see this. He should know what really goes on. And then uh, she took me aside and spoke to me a little bit in private 
And if I remember right, it was something to the effect of, uh, listen, they're going to make up. They'll talk tomorrow. It'll all blow over. Everything's going to be fine. Honey, don't you worry about this. It happens. Welcome to the music business. Is that too much to ask? Okay, so now what I'd like to do is an overview of 2020 from my personal perspective. I'm going to try not to go off on too many tangents because there are many stories that can be told in great detail and uh, there isn't time to do that here. But starting from uh, last December, right, things seemed pretty normal and the year was relatively planned out. I had recorded in the studio a few songs just to try something different with my trio. Instead of the normal kind of jazz guitar instrumental thing, we had done some tracks that had room for special guests and uh, even vocals. Very different. So we were going to resume recording in the spring, and um, that hasn't happened but there are a few of these songs recorded. So I think they will either come out as singles or as an EP or both. We're still figuring that out. But that was uh, in December, the last of those sessions. And then uh, I went to Napal with Testament for the first time. That was amazing. And I got some great photos. Those are on my Instagram And at that point in the year, you're usually planning your January and February. So I knew that I would be attending the NAMM show, as I do every year. That's the annual music industry trade show that takes place in Anaheim, California. And ask any musician who's been there, and they're likely to tell you that NAMM is both wonderful and overwhelming. It is sensory overload on many levels, sights, sounds, crowds, but it's wonderful because you have more reunions with more friends in a shorter amount of time than at any point in the year because everybody's in one place from all over the world. Normally, we are planning for it right now, but it would definitely be a giant coronavirus Petri dish, so it is not happening, hopefully in 2022. But back to December 2019. So the month consisted of the trio recording, the trip to Nepal with Testament, a brief holiday, but a very busy month with um, planning, just uh, finalizing any travel arrangements and NAM scheduling, which takes us into January. So 2020 really kicked off in the second week of January, which is exactly a year from when I'm speaking to you. I flew out to Los Angeles, and the first order of business was rehearsing with Stu Ham, who uh, made a brief appearance on the previous episode, and our special guest, violinist Karen Briggs, who's fantastic. We've been doing this NAM pre-show gig at the Baked Potato, a venue I talked about extensively in the episode Home at Last. And every year we've had different special guests 
and uh, Karen was our special guest this year, and the show went very well, as good as ever, and uh, Nam was a lot of fun. It's always fun. There's always more stories than I can tell. One highlight was playing with uh, Gabriella from Rodrigo y Gabriela. She had never been to Nam, and she was doing an event at Yamaha and uh, wanted company. Wanted <laughs> so she she really really wanted me to play with her, which was really cool. And we uh, we had we had a great uh, little gig uh, with Nathan East on bass. I'd never played with him. He's a legend. well known for his work with Eric Clapton. So that was a bit of a highlight, but there were many highlights. There are always many highlights at NAM. So it was an eventful NAM, but it was a normal NAM. In other words, NAM is always eventful, and there was no indication that this would be the last event of this type indefinitely. So in between flying home from Southern California and boarding my next plane to Europe, there were only a few days. There was a really cool event I wanted to check out, one of these things that only seems to happen in New York, and it was a tiny bookshop where there was a literary event, a Q&A between um, Malcolm Gladwell, who's like an international best-selling author, <laughs> and you know, the type of person whose books are in airports, and uh, Dave Hill. Who, and they're friends. And Dave Hill is a comedian, musician, hilarious guy that I've gotten to be friends with. And Dave has his own podcast. And we've talked about doing a joint episode for both our podcasts. So somehow we're going to figure out a way to do that in the future. But anyway, I did not want to miss this. And it was the day before my flight. So I packed early. <laughs> I made sure I was packed. And uh, this was sort of the last um, New York event in a small space with a crowd that I would attend for a long time. Uh, it was a really fun event for Dave's book, Parking the Moose. The next day, I flew to Europe. I would fly back to a very different world. So I flew to Hamburg and uh, spent several days on the outskirts of the city in a very industrial area that's mostly warehouses and trucks. And there is a storage facility there that also functions as a rehearsal studio where many bands store equipment, including my band Testament. So we had several days of rehearsal. And then the bus came and picked us up, and there were a couple days of travel before we began the tour. The tour was called the Bay Strikes Back Tour, Testament, Exodus, and Death Angel. Now, this was the first time all three bands had been on the road together. You could pick any combination of two, and they would have toured together. But all three, this was very special. Also, each band is now sounding better than ever. We'd all been through our rough periods there had been you know past dramas members in and out uh you know everybody's getting along and everybody's in a good place everybody's learned a lot of lessons the crowds seem to agree that the bands have never been better so it was just a really cool time to be doing this tour and there was no indication that anything could go wrong so at the time this tour was beginning Coronavirus was in the news, but 
not much was known about it. It was still considered something happening in China. The first case had arrived in the U.S., but it wasn't known how contagious it was. It seemed like it would be like Ebola. You know, a few people may unfortunately get it. Uh, Some of us did have loved ones warning us, myself included, saying, you know, just be careful because who knows if this thing is going to spread. Although even then, nobody could have imagined what would happen. So our first indication that it was really serious was uh, about midway through the tour. I guess we're talking um, mid-February. And we had a show coming up in Milan, Italy. Now, as you all know by now, northern Italy was the first hot spot for the coronavirus outside of China. And uh, as we continued this tour, we kept dodging bullets. So that was canceled a few days before we were supposed to be in Milano. And there was a show in Switzerland outside of Geneva right before that. And we played there. That turned out to be the last show in uh, the country. (laughs) Um, Same thing in uh, Madrid in Spain. Well, a few days later, they they shut down. But we were just uh, dodging bullet after bullet. Uh, France, no problems at all. Uh, the UK at that point was c- clean, totally normal. And it seemed like, okay, maybe this will just be limited to some Western European continental countries, but not, not the UK. Obviously, now we know things uh, are very different. And um, finally, we get to the second to last show. That's Brussels, Belgium. And it was off, then it was on, then it was off. The the city was having trouble deciding whether they should shut down or not. And they ended up uh, having our show be the last event to take place before they completely shut down. And then finally, there was a show in uh, Hanover, Germany, with the plan that we would then drive to Hamburg and catch our return flight. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. Hanover was canceled. Um, All of Germany got shut down the next day. So uh, in the end, we only had two shows canceled, which is kind of a miracle, Hanover and Milano. So we had uh, that last day uh, that was supposed to be the day of the last show. That was uh, March 11th at this point. Yeah, so we're already into March. And by now, things are like heating up. Uh, all over the world. And there's been an announcement that uh, there may be a travel ban. Right, Travel bans are already happening, but uh, we're hearing you might not even be able to fly into the United States. And it, it was just getting crazy. Um, apparently, this didn't apply to U.S. citizens, but that was not made clear. So, uh, yeah, we didn't know what was going to happen. So the, that last day, uh, March 11th, was basically spent at the hotel in Hamburg, and uh, just kind of hanging out, glued to news, uh, fingers crossed 
that would be able to catch our flights. Uh, you know, we all have different flights, and um, I made it back, luckily. Um, so half of my band ended up getting sick. Um, pretty much half of every band did. And uh, we don't know why some of us did and some of us didn't. Uh, it might have been the flights that they took, because it seems like a disproportionate number of folks came down with it, um, the ones that were flying back to the Bay Area and all on this one flight to San Francisco. I don't know, but I know when I got back, um, it was just spooky. So this was the time of panic shopping, stocking up on basic goods, and just not knowing what was going to happen. And even at that point, we were still technically on standby because there was supposed to be a big festival in Australia. We had the plane tickets, and we were going to go there and then follow that up with Thailand and Indonesia, which I was really looking forward to, especially for uh, photographic purposes. But the whole time, I was thinking, there's no way we're going. I mean, you know, people are getting sick. Uh, we barely got back into the United States. We're, we're not leaving. And sure enough, like all future shows just quickly started dropping. And the calendar started clearing, and we entered this period of the great shutdown. Okay, so I'm looking at a picture of myself from uh, March 22nd, only about 10 days after I'd gotten home. And I'm covered. I've got a, a scarf over my face. This is <laughs> before uh, face masks were uh, easily purchasable. Uh, a blue latex glove, uh, a thick jacket, and a thick hat, and sunglasses. And I look like I'm about to rob a store. Now, right around this time, the term social distancing was catching on. And at one point, I took a photo of the line outside a Trader Joe's and tweeted it. And the next thing you know, friends are messaging me, letting me know that uh, the photo was in BuzzFeed for a feature on how people were not social distancing enough. Now, I had taken this photo on my bicycle, which brings us to one of the bright spots of 2020. I rode my bike this year probably more than in the last five years combined. And uh, while I was initially disappointed to be missing out on all the great international travel we had planned, and especially to not be able to take photographs now that I was really getting good with my camera, uh, being in New York City on a bicycle in 2020 would provide no shortage of unique photographic opportunities. Now, I believe I was only home a couple weeks when I heard from my friend Charlie Benante, the drummer best known for Anthrax, but he's also a very diverse musician, multi-instrumentalist. And we were sort of commiserating his calendar was clearing, my calendar was clearing, and he just wanted to find a way to play music. So this is late March. It's only a couple months after Neil Peart of Rush has passed away. And uh, he wanted to pay tribute. So he got uh, Rod Diaz on the bass and uh, filmed a video of him jamming to YYZ by Rush. And then Ra filmed himself jamming to Charlie, playing to Rush. And then I filmed myself jamming to those guys. And as I was filming and tracking the music that would be heard, 
I was looking at the video of them, so I'm interacting. Now, I think it's safe to say this is a video that went viral, although that is not the best choice of words in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. But uh, my phone was blowing up and my email box was filling. People want to know, how did you guys do this? Everybody thought we did it at the same time. <laughs> That's the and for a while, we didn't say anything, but that was the big secret. We didn't play at the exact same time. So now quarantine videos are a thing. And we've since done several and it's been great. It's like, it's a new project and uh, I'm sure we're gonna keep it going in the future. Um, I guess the next month is when the challenges came, right? So uh, one famous artist that did challenges was Brian May, and he would do Instagram videos of himself playing and in invite people to jam with him. And I got involved with a couple in-depth uh, recordings with folks that uh, were playing along to these Brian May tracks, one of which, the song Hammer to Fall, the Queen classic, got shared by Brian, and he made special note of the guitar soloist, which myself and two others, which just had me on cloud nine. So a lot of challenges were happening around this time. Uh, Rodrigo y Gabriela got in on the challenge game, and they were doing regular challenges so they invited me in for one of uh, a song by Dua Lipa Don't Start Now and my version of Don't Start Now ended up in Billboard with a pretty big feature <laughs> it was very accidental but um, it, it, it was a lot of work too but I figured out a way to do it solo and then looped it and then that allowed me to do a lot of my improvisation as if I'm playing with a band and uh, that seemed to go really well. I would later do a similar thing with a tune by Billie Eilish and um, yeah, a lot of interesting projects happened. I would launch a Patreon which helps support this podcast. Of course I would launch this podcast which I'd been planning to do for a long time but I think it, it's much better because I was really able to concentrate on it and being home has enabled me to focus and just get more creative with it. You know, when you're on the road, so much of your energy and focus goes into the concerts. And I was touring like hundreds of days of the year. So I'm really glad to have this going and I will keep this going. This is uh, something I want to keep doing for a long time. So I want to thank you all for making this possible. This has made 2020 better for me. And uh, from some of you I've heard from, the feeling is mutual. And I am grateful. And I just saw a headline today which says, Concert venues, comma, theaters could reopen by fall 2021, says Dr. Anthony Fauci. If he says it, then it's possible. So let's see what happens. I did manage to do a couple interesting streaming shows this year as well, including one with uh, the great Percy Jones, bassist of uh, Brand X for many years, also played with Brian Eno, and uh, took the opportunity to speak with him. So that's actually going to be an upcoming Moods and Modes episode. And we have some very cool stuff planned for you. So I think this is a good place to wrap up. There's obviously more to discuss, but everything is in my timeline. 
I'm just glad we are getting through this strange time period together. I'm grateful for all of you. Thank you for being listeners and supporters. And I just want to thank my hands-on team members from Osiris, Kristen Kluthi, and Brad Stratton, and the entire Osiris team. One other thing that happened this year, (laughs) in the second half of the year, I became a rapper. Uh, It had to happen. And I just could not help it. And this was the only way to express what I was feeling politically. And I I think this week, this uh, especially needs to be expressed. Uh, I could add verses onto this, but uh, it is what it is, as someone once said. And um, maybe parts of it are a little dated because it was before the election. Thank goodness the election turned out the way it did. But... um, it's it's a thing, and I did follow this up with another song. They're, they're on my timeline, and I even have another one in my head. So let's go out with this song. Uh, it's been called Many Things. There's no middle ground. It's either the best song of 2020 and genius or pathetic, cringeworthy, and embarrassing. <laughs> and uh, it's inspired by old school rap and the late, great Frank Zappa. So I'm going to sign off, wishing you the best 2021. See you on the next episode. And here is my self-produced, composed, and recorded, and first ever rap track, Trump Sucks. You know, the other day I did a social media post. It was about voter turnout, expressing how I feel, politely. You MAGA people are so responsive. You inspired me to write this song. This is dedicated to you. We got a bad situation all across the nation. The White House is under occupation. And liberation from this administration is needed right now. No time for vacation. No regulation for clean air and water. He got to office and installed his own daughter? She serves no purpose except for appearance. Initially denied a security clearance. Her husband Jared is even worse yet. Shady ties analyzed as a security threat. Vladimir Putin got Trump in his pocket. Kim Jong-un just launched another rocket. I haven't even mentioned Betsy DeVos, Wilbur Ross, and the cost and the lives that were lost. Abomination, an epic fail, just like Bannon and Flynn. He belongs in jail. Trump sucks. I'm not kidding around. Trump sucks. He's like a game show clown. He took a hatchet to the hatch act, breaking them laws, violating the emoluments clause. Sycophants and cronies keep them in power, pissing on our norms like a golden shower. A life failing upward, not a heavy lifter, an upscale slumlord, two-bit grifter. You may be someone that we cannot sway, but for me, there's only one thing left to say. Trump sucks. He is not your friend. Trump sucks. I guess I gotta say it again. Trump sucks. And this could be America's end. Trump sucks. He's gonna cheat all he can. He will not rest. 
disrupt the post office use Kanye West. When the polls close and the people choose, he's gonna claim voter fraud or say it's all fake news. You like this guy because he's rich, just like Bill Maher said. Trump's a whiny little bitch, lying and tweeting and interrupting, always grouchy, contradicting scientists, even Dr. Fauci. So what'll we do? No time to sit and gloat. Call your friends and family. Everybody's gotta vote. Trump sucks. We're not kidding around. Trump sucks. He's trying to bring our democracy down. Trump sucks. Just like the mob, it's a family of crime. Trump sucks. Let's say it one more time. Trump sucks. Hey listeners, I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on... Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.